Well, that great movie is called Pride, and you can see that Andre, the younger kid in that, had a little too much of it. The word pride uh, has a lot of different words, arrogance, conceit, uh, full of oneself. We're going to take a look at that today, although we're not going to really look at pride so much as we're going to look at its cousin, which is called unhealthy self-love. We're going to take a look at that today. We're going to see how God wants us to love us even more than we can love ourselves. I am so happy to be back. I must say, we've just been back from St. Louis, where we were for about a week or so, and uh, it is cold out there. <laughs> it is so cold out there that um, Haley went out. It was 15 degrees with wind chill. It was about 5 degrees. Her hands started to turn red. This is my 18-month-old daughter. She didn't have a word for this. She said, hot, hot, hot. <laughs> I said, no, honey, there's a new word. It's called cold, cold. If I seem also a little groggy today, it is because I was. We flew. The the trip back was just something. I've never had a trip like this. We flew from St. Louis to Phoenix. That was fine. Then we had to go to the other side of the airport, carrying baby, carried her to the gate. They had closed the door. And of course, once they close the door, they don't let you on. So we're like, okay, just put us on the next flight. There was no next flight. In fact, the next two days were standby. So we rented a car. We rented a car in Phoenix. And we drove from Phoenix to Paso Robles just two days ago. We stayed the night in Blythe, California. I'm just telling you, if you haven't like spent a night in Blythe, you haven't begun to live. So I spent the first night of the year January 21 to 2010 uh, in Blythe. You know it's going to be an interesting year when that's how your year starts. So, But it's, it's great to be here. Well, we are, as I said, we're starting this series. We began on Christmas Eve, and we looked at the why on Christmas Eve, if you were here. Why did God come into the world? Because something was missing in the world. There was something fundamentally wrong with the world. And the world was missing full love. And for millions of years, people tried to love one another in unhealthy ways. They tried to love themselves in all kinds of unhealthy ways. And so Jesus came 2,010 years ago now in order so that we could experience full love in our lives. That's what we're going to take a look at. Today, we're going to take a look at how we can't fully love ourselves. As much as we would try, we can't. Now, I just want to begin by saying God actually wants us to love ourselves. A lot of Christians think, well, God wants you to hate yourself. That is not true. God wants us to love ourselves in healthy ways. We're going to look today at unhealthy love. Let's take a look at our text. We're looking at John, and we're looking at chapter 12, and we're going to begin with verse 20. Now, the group that Jesus is talking to are Greek. I don't know if you know any Greek culture, maybe uh, Greek olive oil or Greek wine, or, or maybe you've just seen the movie, uh, you know, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. But you know about Greek culture, it's very self-focused. It's very sensuous, not like the redneck term sensuous, which is sensuous up, get me a sandwich. I mean sensuous, <laughs> sensuous in physical, you know, sensuousness, self-love. They were very much into self-pleasure, self-love, all about me. And this is who Jesus is talking to. Let's listen to God's word. Well, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. This is the Passover feast, which we will celebrate in our own way in one month. That's communion. We have communion in the beginning of February. That's our Passover. Their Passover was similar. They had wine and, and bread and a little lamb, different kinds of meals. Well, the Greeks would come in and say, well, that, that lamb is a little undercooked, I think. And that bread just kind of stale. And that, that wine is just no good at all. They were thinking of themselves. Well, can you imagine someone coming into our communion and saying, well, that Welch's grape juice is just not very Welchy, I guess. And that bread is just needs a little more yeast in it. 
That's what the Greeks were doing. So they came to Philip, who was sort of Greek in his own way. He spoke Greek, and he was from Bethsaida. And they came with a request. Sir, they said. These Greeks are very sophisticated. Actually, the word sophisticated comes from Greek. It's like the English. Do say what? Gentlemen, do. Be a good, do a good sir and give us something, would you? Sir, they said. We would like to see Jesus. Now notice it isn't, we would like to go worship Jesus. Remember the Magi a couple of weeks ago we looked at? They wanted to go give something to Jesus. We would like to what? See Jesus. Not love Jesus. They wanted this physical, very in this world view. (coughs) Excuse me. So Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew is like the bouncer of the disciples. You had to go through Andrew if you wanted to get to Jesus. His name was Andreas. And Andrew and Philip, in turn, went to Jesus. Now, Jesus replies in a very non-self-loving kind of way. He replies in a godly way that he wants us to hear today. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The time has come for me to die, not to myself, but for others, for you. And then he says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies... It remains only a single seed. Now think of this, not a nice loaf of bread with olive oil on it, a single wheat, of, a grain of wheat. And it must die. Have you ever seen wheat it die? It, it just goes bad. It goes sour. It, it turns off. It goes rotten. Unless that wheat seed dies and it goes into the ground, it can only stay a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. See the opposite from the self-focus? It's the dying of that seed in order that other seeds may be born. Now here's the focus of our entire text today. The man who loves his life will lose it. The man who loves his own life will lose it. The person. Now again, this is complex. Again, I want to emphasize Jesus wants us to love ourselves. So don't think that Jesus doesn't. But let me explain it a little differently. The Greeks were so sophisticated, they had three different words for love. You and I, we have one word. If you love a wife or your husband, you say, I love you. You love your church. Maybe on New Year's, you said, I love my friends. But there were three words. One is eros, which is where we get our word erotic. That's physical love. And then there was the next one, philios, which is brotherly love. That's sort of among your friends. And then there is Agape love. Would you say that with me, the third one? Agape? Agape is the highest kind of love. Now, what Jesus is using here in that word is he's saying, if you phileos yourself, that is, if you brotherly love yourself, you will lose your life. It's not enough for you. But if you agape, if that is, if you allow God to love you, if you let agape come into your life, you will gain it and you will live forever. That's why Jesus came, so that we could have agape love in our lives. It didn't exist in the world without God. And then he finishes out, whoever serves must follow me. It's an incredible text. It's a challenging one. I don't know about you, but I find that self-love comes into my life. It sort of seeps into my life. It kind of trickles in, and I have to just be careful because I notice, oh, here comes self-love. But it's usually after it comes in for a while. And it's almost always when I'm uncomfortable or upset or just kind of, you know, I just want to sort of get out of my own world. To give an example, I was, did I mention this was a long trip to get here? Okay. (laughs) 
it was also a very long trip to get to St. Louis. We had an 18-month-old little girl and flying out there. She was, you know, a normal 18-month-old. She was pommeling the guy's chair behind me. I tried to explain this was a new form of Asian massage, but he didn't think it was funny. She was crying. She was kicking the seat. I wanted to get out of this. Everyone was turning around, frowning at me and star like we could do anything about it. Frowning at Haley. She was like, yay. So I had to get into my world, my space. So I opened my iMac. And then I opened my favorite program on my iMac, my iTunes. Notice they don't call it U-Tunes or Us-Tunes or We-Tunes. iTunes. Because I wanted to get into my iMovie. Because I wanted to start to take care of myself. Because I was feeling uncomfortable in this place where I wasn't feeling, I guess, loved enough. So I opened the movie. Unfortunately, it was a movie I had not put on. My I daughter put it on. It was uh, Elmo and Grouchland. But <laughs> it turns out it was actually the movie I needed to watch. There was a character in it called Greedy Huxley who sang a song that said this, Look at all I got, this lamp, this yacht. But what makes all this fun is knowing that you have not. Some may call it greed, but it's not. It's need. I need to have a lot. I give my all to all I see, and all I see I give to me. It's a great song. <laughs> I was feeling real good about myself after that. So I closed my iMac. I noticed that self-love unhealthily was coming into my life. This next year, as Richard pointed out in the giving back, it's going to be a tough year. And there's going to be a time in your life this next year, many, many times, when you will want to try to pour on the love onto yourself. When you're feeling uncomfortable, when the bills are not being able to be paid, when you're having arguments with people, when things are difficult, and you'll say, well, I can best take care of me. But the truth is God can take care of you much better. He can fully love you. So I just want to offer a couple things about this and just have you munch on this the next week. The number one is is that we do have to kind of be aware of when unhealthy self-love comes into our lives. It happens to all of us. And again, it happens when we're uncomfortable. There was this uh, couple who were just newly married, and this uh, marriage was not going very well. This guy goes to a psychologist and says, my marriage is not going well. I've been married for two or three months. Well, psychologist said, well, tell me about it. And Well, he said, problem is, number one, my wife is making me change everything in my life. Well, you know, tell me about that. Well, she's made me quit smoking. She's made me quit drinking. I can't go out to all night parties anymore. She said, she's also making me save money instead of spending it. I've gone to a weight loss clinic. I'm going and working out all the time. Everything in my life's getting changed. Psychologist says, well, I know what the problem is. It's a classic case of underlying bitterness to someone who's trying to change you. Oh, no, said the guy. The problem is I have changed my life. It's just that I kind of think I'm a little better than my wife now, so I'm kind of looking around a little bit. Not that funny, actually. <laughs> Self-love, though, can creep into our lives. It can quickly creep in unless we have a guard against it. Uh, some, a lot smarter people than me have identified some warning signs of self-love coming into your life. Unhealthy self-love. person once said this, Do you interrupt others when they're speaking? That may be a sign unhealthy self-love is coming in. Most people who display arrogance monopolize conversations because they aren't interested in what others have to say, 
They need to speak to hear themselves because they need to say a lot more significant and is more important than what you have to say. Here's the next one you see on the screen. Do you show off business cards and brag about how much you spend on shoes or a dress or a shirt or suit? Or do you pull out your money in your wallet and just show people, no, none of us do that. We don't have any. (laughs) Here's one. Number three, do you constantly, do people constantly talk about their problems? It's okay to talk about your problems now and then. But do you know anybody who's always focusing on themselves? They always have some emergency and immediate assistance. They're always speaking of a sense of sensationalism, and they're always playing the victim. Here's one that, uh, that uh, hits me. Do you always compare every situation to something you experienced? Does every circumstance someone went through have measured against what you went through? Somebody says, well, I had a terrible car accident today. I just nearly didn't make it through the experience. You say, well, that's really too bad. You know, it reminds me of my car accident I had 10 years ago. And then, of course, the last one, uh, there are a lot of signs of this kind of thing, but the last one is, you know, do, do people put other people down? That can be a kind of self-love, unhealthfully. Do you put other people down, judging and criticizing them? Maybe joke about them, bash on them. So detect the early warning signs and then close your eye Mac in your life. The second is the way to get out of it. And that is to move my space to God's space. So much of our lives is about my space. And when it starts to be infringed upon, crowded upon, in any way invaded, we say, well, we try to even harder to build in my space. But the key, actually, is to put God's space into my space. And this could be like a whole series of sermons. But one really important way to do this is to focus on the needs of others. To focus on the problems that other people have. There's a famous doctor by the name of Scott Kurtz who lives in Connecticut, which is another cold place. But Scott Kurtz was out driving one day in the car he was driving. He had a He had an 8 o'clock class he had to get to. He's a chief surgeon in a hospital. Well, he sees this car accident where there was this dump truck and there were several cars turned over and he's almost late for his class. But he goes to, uh, he pulls his car over and he goes and checks out the situation in his fatigues, his medical fatigues. He goes over and he starts to just pick through this rubble of this crash and he sees two or three people who need help, and he he helps each of them. He pulls them out of the car. He puts them on the side of the road. He he takes off his jacket. He puts a blanket from his car on one of them. He fixes their medical needs. He comes into his class, 845, and he's he's late. His kids are kind of like, what's going on? He said, look, I had something more important to do. Now, the cool thing is that Scott Kurtz has made a pact in his life. He will never pass by another accident without stopping. He's a doctor. He said, anybody with my skill set, my ability set, if I pass somebody by without helping them, it would, be, it would be a wrong thing to do. Now, all of us shouldn't do that. I don't have the ability to help people in a car accident, but maybe you do. Or maybe you're a contractor and you have the ability to help someone else with a building project. Or you're a teacher or a chef or a, whatever it is. The best way to make God's space invade our space is to get out of our space and to help others with the things they need. But the most important thing is remember this, that actually God is the one who can actually love us better than we can love ourselves. It's a great fallacy 
If you want, it's the great big sin. The great big sin of humanity is that I can love me better than God can love me. And so we do all kinds of things in our lives to help love ourselves better. Some of those are devious. Some of those are unethical. Some of those are just lies to ourselves. But God can love you better. You know why? He knows you better than you know yourself. That's a deep reality. When we figure out that we actually don't know ourselves as well as God does. We think we do, but we don't. God knows how many hairs you have on your head. Which for me today is less than it was before I left Phoenix. But (laughs) God knows. He listens better than you do. You think the best person who can listen to you is you? God listens better than you do. God gives more than you do. He gives way more than you do. He gave his life for you. A lot of people think they can give their lives to themselves. You can't. You can't even die for yourself. That's another lie. You can only love the one who died for you. And that is a whole lifelong journey. When we talk about where the journey begins, where the journey begins is when you begin to figure out how God loves you fully. That's the journey. And it is a long journey. But it is what we're on here. So we want to finish this message today with just that song that we sang on Christmas Eve, Oh, How He Loves Us. Because it isn't actually something we can think Because then we're in the middle of our way too. (laughs) It's something we have to just live. Let's pray and then I want you to think about moving my space out of your heart as you're singing this and moving God's space into that very space. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you came to do something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. Thank you for loving us in a way that we can't love ourselves. We have tried. We try all the time. But we really can't. Lord, I ask that you would help us to drink it into our souls. And when we're feeling uncomfortable or somehow distracted, when we're feeling hurt or damaged, we ask that you would allow us to let you love us rather than bandaging up our own little selves. Oh, how he loves us oh oh, how he loves us how he loves us Lord we move our space out and we put your space in